Welcome to the Art and Logic Minimum Viable Podcast. Today we'll be talking with Juan Torres, Senior Director of Business Development at PRISM. Hey, Juan, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. And we'll also be joined today by Andrew. Nice to have you with us again, Andrew. How are you? Thanks, Carlos. It's great to be here. I'm doing quite well, thank you. Cool. Well, uh, Juan, let's get started with a little bit about you and the PRISM. So what kind of work does PRISM do? Uh, so PRISM uh, works with music venues, concert promoters, and now uh, music agents, talent agents. Uh, and our goal is really to help those entities be more efficient in putting on live events. And so we work with them with everything from managing a calendar and putting dates on a calendar for potential concerts all the way through offers, contracts, uh, and financial settlements for all the shows that they put on uh, and ultimately trying to reduce uh, redundancies that both parties uh, spend a lot of time in and help them be more efficient. So is this the kind of business that existed prior to the pandemic and then kind of had to pivot a lot during the pandemic and is now readjusting to the new normal or? Uh, it's really interesting. We, we've been around for about seven years and we started out primarily helping and working with promoters and music venues. And our CEO and founder, Matt Ford, is a former promoter himself and was putting on some concerts, decided that there had to be a better way than Excel to manage calendars and to manage financial offers and settlements for you know, all the concerts that even one promoter puts on a year. Uh, through the pandemic, uh, we actually ended up seeing an efficiency gain and a net gain in business for us because uh, after the initial shock of you know three months and we haven't put on a show, a lot of venues and promoters started to think, okay, what can I do in these next three to six months to be more efficient when shows do come back on? And we really leaned into that through the pandemic to reach out to people and just say, look, this is a great opportunity to not have idle hands and to look at how you can be more efficient. So through the pandemic, we, we stayed true to our core of what we do. We did a slight pivot in a sense that we also rolled out the agency software at that time while there were no shows happening. And you know, one of the interesting things about that is uh, generally or historically the industry has seen a lot of consolidations. You always hear about Live Nation or AEG buying a venue or a promoter. Uh, with the pandemic, a lot of agents left big agencies. And so this was an opportunity for them to look at how they create efficiencies in their small businesses. And so that empowered us to really go out and roll out that software as well. So now, you know, two years later, we've got the two systems running side by side. We had a chance to talk to you about this a little bit at Music Tectonics, the conference recently down yeah. in Santa Monica. I remember the business case for all of the parties involved was really compelling. As you say, greater efficiency. It sounds like uh, actually being able to um, get paid the amount that was agreed, that sort of thing. A lot of things really come out of this that wouldn't have been possible with just a spreadsheet-based approach, yeah? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, the industry has obviously existed before we came along. And we have promoters that have been doing this way back from the Billy Graham days, and there are even more before that. And, uh, you know, counts and tickets and everything was kept track of on a legal pad and, and artists were paid uh, in a duffel bag full of money. Uh, <laughs> after, you know, the dot com in the 90s and, 
you know, the early 2000s. Um, now there's a new generation of folks that are putting on these concerts. And they all learned how to do it a certain way, but that way involves a lot of spreadsheets. Uh, every one concert that happens, just from the venue and the promoter side, might have at least three or four different spreadsheets that have to be created just so that the offer can be generated for the artist and then the internal teams know what's going on for the show and then that show can be settled at the end of the night and then as a business group the promoter or venue can actually close out and settle that show uh, and when you add in ticket counts and revenue streams that come in expenses that are going out uh, it's a lot on a spreadsheet and you know there's a lot that can happen and go wrong if someone sort of fat fingers uh, a cell <laughs> and all of a sudden deletes a formula. And it's something that's very difficult for folks to manage and remain consistent. So we try to take that out of Excel, try and, and reduce the human error that exists in working in spreadsheets so that everybody can work in a system, uh, have a common language as well. Uh, and so that way the, the formulas aren't someone's spreadsheet formula, but it's a, an mm -hmm. industry standard, which is what we're working to build. And the settlement time frame, I think you said could drop from weeks potentially down to hours, right? When, you know, yeah. the live act and the venue are all trying to come to terms with the numbers that may not match up. Yeah, it's really interesting. We've seen, uh, you know, in my time with Prism, uh, there's some promoter groups that would say that if they really wanted to be efficient, they would start settling the show the day before. So sort of doing a pre-settlement uh, and then just wrap up everything that happens day of the show so that they could settle quickly. Uh, that's still, you know, the day before still involves a 24-hour prep for everything going on the next night. Uh, multiply that by a Friday show, a Saturday show, and then a Wednesday, Thursday show next week. You're also doing other things in that time frame uh, instead of just settling the show tomorrow. And so that settlement process has, you know, taken some folks 24 hours, two days, a week, and now with our system, really from the time the show is confirmed, the settlement is already happening because of the, mm -hmm. the system that we have. And so settlement is pretty much done once the last ticket is sold. And teams can settle their shows in a matter of minutes instead of hours or days. And this these kind of this kind of solution, it can apply to venues of all sizes, right? This isn't just for like huge arenas. It can also be uh, smaller concert venues like bars or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we have a wide range of clients. Um, our, our, what I would consider, smallest capacity client uh, is a room here in Austin uh, called Hole in the Wall, which is considered a, a local dive bar, but they put on yeah. shows. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, whether it's ticketed or non-ticketed, they have a calendar of events that they'd like to manage. And they like to understand how profitable the night is when there is a band in the room or when there is an artist in the room. And so that's on the very small level. And then we have performing arts centers and arenas that are also using PRISM. And we have performing arts groups like the Paps Theater Group, the Dayton Live Group in Ohio, uh, or promoter groups uh, like the, the IMP concerts with 930 Club and Meriwether Post Pavilion mm. that are using PRISM for the thousands of events a year that they're doing. Um, and it really, you know, it scales all the way from that small a team to large teams because the core problems are the same. You are booking shows today for three, six, one year out, 
three months, six months, one year out, but you're also settling a show tonight and you also have shows going on next week. So there's this life cycle of an event that is never seemingly never ending because there are 30 to 40 shows in the middle of that life cycle at all times. Neat. It's my stomping ground. I used to um, see shows at Merriweather and 930. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was a group that, um, you know, very intelligent operating group. Uh, they, they're very smart with how they look at things and, you know, through the pandemic, they were looking on ways to be more efficient. They had actually built a system internally that helped them analyze their past show data, but they had nothing in place to help them be more efficient with current shows. And we really helped them bridge that gap. And, you know, if we can help them be more efficient and book even one more show, they're net profitable uh, as far as return on investment goes with Prism. So uh, it's been it's been really fun to work with them. So how much of the process, like if, the, if somebody has to incorporate some past, past show data, is that something that has to, I mean, I imagine that can be a rather painstaking manual process. Um, yeah. I, but I, I think what's happening in my head is that when you're describing spreadsheets, I'm still flashing back to when I was young and going to different venues and they were small and you'd literally see somebody standing there with like a spreadsheet in their hand, mm -hmm. not necessarily a spreadsheet and a computer. Yeah. Um, so, so what, you know, how... How tricky is it to convince people to go from their proprietary system to something mm. like what you offer? Yeah, it's interesting. If you would ask me that question last year or even two years ago, I would say it's very tricky to convince somebody to do it. Um, but, you know, sitting here today, even since we saw each other in, in Santa Monica during Music Tectonics, it's a lot easier. Uh, and the reason is that a lot of people... Uh, one, know friends who are using it and that it's worked for. So word of mouth is our, our best marketing tool. Uh, but the other part of it is that uh, there's more propensity to move things onto some sort of technology platform. Uh, there has just been the idea that no one's going to develop something for concerts because it's so niche. Uh, and it took you know, a whole bunch of concert passionate people to do it. And, you know, it's going back to your earlier question about a pandemic pivot. It's why we really couldn't pivot to anything else, because our software is very much a uh, live event venue promoter agency. Uh, you can't use our system for, you know, anything else that isn't live events. So um, it's both a, a gift and a curse, but it allows us to really go deep into the space, expand into agencies and eventually into other facets of the live industry. Given the very narrow focus, though, it still seems pretty impressive that you guys are able to present software that scales to the degree you said, that it can be used by a small, you know, 100-person venue and then by tens of thousands of people arenas, and it's still um, a feature set that's relevant to them and that's accessible to all of them and, well, scalable, yeah. That's yeah. quite an accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, seven years in the making, and I would say for the first three and a half, uh, it was slow going. Uh, and that was convincing people that it could be done, uh, actually doing it. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on too, is that we, we really poke and prod our clients and try and understand what's new, what's changing, what can we yeah. develop? Uh, and we have an in-house engineering team that is rolling out new updates and features, uh, almost weekly, honestly. And so when the industry changes because of 
the economy and the deal structures are changing, we're able to pivot with the industry very quickly. And so, um, you know, in some cases, what it would take someone to update their internal spreadsheets and proprietary system uh, is more time than what it would take us to yeah. update that same thing uh, because we've got a team of 14, 15 people working on it and that's all they're working on as opposed to also working on the shows themselves. If I can follow up, we were actually curious about part of that in particular about how you get that information from your user base. How do you you know, keep your pulse, your finger on the pulse of what's necessary for them, what's changing? What does that look like? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways we do it. Uh, I actually uh, personally in my role um, work on bringing on new clients. I oversee the team that does that. But I also have a list of clients that I talk to pretty regularly. Uh, so we have a list of clients that our CEO and founder talks to pretty regularly. And uh, we do a really good job of cycling through that list, building relationships with folks um, and really asking them, you know, is, is there anything that the system could be doing better? Uh, leaning into that feedback as opposed to, you know, shying away and worrying that someone has a criticism of the platform that we've worked so hard on building. Uh, we realized early on that the only way that we can stay cutting edge and be leaders in the space is to actually get that feedback and criticism. Uh, so that we can be better. And we have a very, you know, great way internally of documenting this feedback that we get. We sort of let it build up and find out what do we have to tackle first and then uh, follow up with clients and prospects as well to see if we built this, what would it do for your business? What's the net gain here? Um, should we make this part of the core offering for everyone or should we build this as an add-on feature that only certain folks are going to want to add because we don't want to make a system that is so bulky that hole in the wall uh, says there's there's no way I would use all of these things and so yeah. we have a system that scales for every team uh, and it allows us to you know work with all size teams because we we do it that way. So this is going to sound a little bit simplistic, but I'm just kind of curious about the type of information that goes into these spreadsheets and then that gets you know input into prism yeah well if we bring them on a prism then it doesn't go in a spreadsheet anymore right. ever again <laughs> uh but uh yeah i mean you know every one of our clients has uh sort of like an independent database so there is no data sharing as to what another venue did somewhere versus what they're doing which is very important for the industry because you know you really want to make sure that that data privacy is secure um but folks are entering everything from uh, here's a potential concert or band that I might be able to book on a calendar all the way through, you know, here's the deal that I am offering, um, you know, Lizzo through their agent. And uh, here are the potential dates. Here's what we're, you know, saying we're paying for towels and cleanup and security and really all of the cost offerings that, that go into a show as well as here are the rebates that, that are tied to ticketing and the fees, uh, because ultimately at the end of every concert, there has to be an accounting settlement that happens. And uh, a lot of these deals for artists, the majority of them are versus deals where someone is getting paid a guarantee or they're getting paid, you know, a percentage of the net profits. And so they're, they're at least hedging their bet on some of the concert performance but it's really in the best interest of the venue promoter and the artist 
for them to outperform a break even and you know they all make money in that case I have a question then this is sort of yeah it's marginally off topic but it's also about what we're what we're discussing here so we met you at a music technology conference right music tectonics and when we were talking about interviewing you today Andrew and I discussed briefly like what music technology is because in many respects what you're what prism does falls into a, a category of music technology and from our experience as a software development firm like we i think tend to see music technology slightly differently wouldn't you agree andrew yeah i think i would think of it mostly as um <clears throat> excuse me technology that assists in the creation or reproduction of music mm. that may not be complete yeah, but that's what yeah. I think is so fascinating is that it. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I think I, I see where you're going. It's, it's one of the things that, uh, not to assume too much or jump ahead, but uh, a lot of times when I when I also think of music technology and a lot of the conferences that we go to and there's uh, talk about music technology, uh, it ends up being a conversation about the music technology. <laughs> Uh, you know, how do you, what, the, what are the synthesizers that are out there? What are the instruments that are out there? What are the ways to get your music out there? What are the ways, you know, for the live experience to right. be enjoyed as opposed to what's happening behind the scenes to make it happen? Um, and it's really the gap that we saw uh, when Prism got started, right? Is that, you know, for all the years that concerts have been putting on, for all the rise of, of dot-com and technologies, uh, here we were in, in 2016, 2015, and there still wasn't anything to help the process of booking a concert be more efficient. And folks were on Google Calendar or iCal and spreadsheets. Uh, the most advanced team was using uh, FileMaker through Microsoft, which is about to be sunset by Microsoft. So, uh, um, yeah. you know, and, and so we really, there was an opportunity to help people think about, you know, how can they be more efficient with shows? And it's interesting, you know, when we work with promoter teams and venue teams, um, the only other tech that they're used to using is ticketing uh, and, you know, maybe a POS system. And so they're also not thinking about music tech in a sense of, you know, how do they help the live performance come to be? And how do they help settle the shows? And that's usually where we start to break in and say, you oh, know, we're not a ticketing company. Uh, we're, we're not a POS system. We are this back of house system that helps tie it all together. Um, and it, it's a different side of music tech. Uh, something that I like to sort of refer to more as a, a live music tech. And mm -hmm with our offering expanding, I've started to see more companies pop up in that space and think, what other solutions, what other problems can we solve that work well with companies like Prism? And there were a couple of companies at Music Tectonics, um, you know, I, think of, uh, I think it was Real Counts uh, that was there, that answers a real question of how do we help agents uh, consolidate ticket counts and manage ticket counts. Again, a very manual process that requires somebody to make 50 to 100 calls a day and put a number into a spreadsheet. Yeah. Maybe it's slight digression. What's happened with live venues over the last couple of years? Are we seeing 
more less yeah it's um i think it's still a little early to, to fully tell but um you know prior to the pandemic there was a lot of consolidation happening and so you saw a lot of independent venues um losing their leases getting bought out um you know you, you still see it there's some news out of nashville recently uh austin's been struggling with some of this as well but uh, you know, venues will build up a scene uh, because they're leasing the space and then the dirt gets sold out from under them. And now that here comes a condo for a growing city and there's no room for a music venue at the bottom of a condo. No one really wants to live above a music venue. And so you see some music venues go away that way, uh, which is which is kind of sad because uh, you think about like Brooklyn, New York is another place where the venues built the space. Uh, built the the community, and now they get they get pushed out. Um, mm -hmm. However, you know across the country we are seeing more new venues pop up. Uh, more new venues are popping up than we're seeing closed down, and more new venues are popping up than we're seeing you know Live Nation or AEG buy up. So there isn't as much consolidation happening um, as you sort of expected coming out of the pandemic when venues were struggling. A lot of that uh, is because of the work that, that NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, did to help secure funding within the CARES Act. So the, the SVOG, uh, the grants that went out, the Save Our Stages campaign that NEVA ran, that did a lot to get venues uh, funds to stay afloat uh, post-pandemic. Uh, and then, you know, the, interest, the other side of the coin on that is, you know, agencies were also getting consolidated into the big three, four agencies, and the pandemic created a sort of ripple where a lot of agents broke away and started their own agencies. And so on that side, there's a deconsolidation happening. Now, whether that reconsolidates down the road remains uh, to be yeah. seen, but I am optimistic about the number of music venues that are popping up, independent music venues that are popping up around the country. That's exciting. And I'm yeah. guessing you're seeing it supported by the fan base coming back out in droves and with some enthusiasm again. Yeah, there's there's been a change. There's definitely been a shift in, in the fan bases. Um, you know, a lot of performing arts centers, for instance, uh, used to rely on the the boomer crowd. You know, the, the hmm. 50, 60 plus uh, were constant investors in the live arts. And that crowd has uh, sort of pulled back from some live events. They, they aren't going as much. And so a lot of performing arts centers have pivoted in their programming. They've pivoted in the way that they market themselves to bring in a, a younger crowd that is hungry for events, that is mm. hungry for, for connecting. Um, you know, live stream was okay through the pandemic, but a lot of people really wanted to, to be back in a room feeling the bass, uh, you know, feeling the, the experience and live music creates an experience that's just very hard to replicate through video or, or any other way other than being in the room. Um, yeah. And so we are, you know, we are seeing, uh, I would say, mixed return. You know, some markets are, are doing better than others. Uh, the big thing that's kind of hurting the industry is the sophistication of scalpers and, and the secondary market, um, which, you know, while it sounds good that a show might be sold out and, uh, you know, a thousand capacity show might be sold out, if scalpers bought 400 of those tickets and resold 200 of them, 
you still have a, a fairly empty, relatively empty room, and that's less people buying drinks at the bar, uh, buying merch at the merch table. And so it isn't quite the the boom that you would expect. Um, but live is a, a new commodity that scalpers and are figuring out they can flip and, and resell. I think I read a blog article by you about that, about how important the actual in-show merchandising and drink sales, as you say, is and compared to the ticket sales themselves. Use yeah. the mind for what it's designed for, not storing all the stuff you could be keeping somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I'm a huge fan of, yeah, I'm a huge fan of writing things down. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I have a, I, I was just getting grief from an agent because he was texting me and, and he said, I, he realized I wasn't on a iPhone on iMessage cause I use an Android, but my, my Android has a, a stylus and you know, whether I, uh, am actually going to reference the note or not, there is a mental proven. Uh, mental connection that happens when you write something down doesn't matter where right. you write it down but the connection of hearing it processing it and writing it helps you remember it but if you don't remember it you know where to reference it and i don't have to think about these things you know for that reason i don't know that i could ever go to uh, a mobile device without a stylus because then i'd have to go back to carrying around a notepad everywhere which is also a fine <laughs> option but a little bit more tech and forward it's a handwriting component that brings it into yeah. the yeah. Longer term storage rather than the typing or yeah. text chat or something interesting. I can totally understand that. Well, yeah. thank you, Juan. It was really a pleasure having you join us today. And to those of you out there, thanks for listening. If you want to hear more from Art and Logic, you can find our Minimum Viable podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you get your podcasts.